0: I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 16 as we. uh, We're not going to bring it to a conclusion this morning. That'll be next week, but uh, we're going to dive into Romans 16. And you've got uh, some notes in your worship folder, so I invite you to take those out as well. Um, I don't know if you've ever read a book, uh, The Boys in the Boat. Uh, It's a nonfiction novel that I finished some months ago, but. A very good book, but it tells the story of nine underdog working class boys from Washington uh, who upset the elite rowers of the Ivy League and then went on to win a gold medal in the 1936 uh, Berlin Olympics and Adolf Hitler's uh, rowers. And their whole strategy depended on teamwork. The author of the book, David James Brown, describes what teamwork involves, and here's what he writes. There is a thing that sometimes happens in rowing that is hard to achieve and hard to define. It's called swing. It only happens when all eight oarsmen are rowing in such perfect unison that no single action by anyone is out of sync with those of all the others. Sixteen arms must begin to pull. Sixteen knees must begin to fold and unfold. Eight bodies must begin to slide forward and backward. Eight backs must bend and straighten all at once. Each minute action, each subtle turning of wrists must be mirrored exactly by each oarsman from one end of the boat to the other only then will the boat continue to run unchecked fluidly and gracefully between poles of the oars only then will it feel as if the boat is a part of each of them moving as if on its own only then does pain entirely give way to exaltation rowing then becomes a kind of perfect language poetry that's what a good swing feels like you know we do have some people in our congregation who are rowers um, Gary Carlson who's in the first service that's what he lettered in at San Diego State it was rowing uh, he was a, a an oarsman uh, Rick and Jan Bausback many of you know Rick and Jan. They've been around here forever. Their son was in the Los Angeles Olympics as a rower. Uh, so we do have some folks in, in our congregation who have, uh, have done that. So the crew in this book, the crew's coach, explained to them what he called the spiritual value of rowing. He said it's, as lo- it's one losing oneself entirely To the cooperative effort of the crew as a whole. I don't think that's too bad of a description, actually, of the church and what the church is supposed to be like. The Apostle Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians. He wrote, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up the whole body. So it is within the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves. Some are free, but we have all been baptized into one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. So a church is to be that kind of place. A church is to be a place where we work together for a common goal, for a greater goal, like we talked about last week, uh, to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission. Those are summed up by the five words that are on the front of the worship folder, that's <clears throat> about what Tiffany is doing and what we announced. That's part of who we are. That's our DNA as a church to send out missionaries. Uh, <clears throat> you know, we think of the extension of our church. Uh, all of our missionaries who are, you know, you look on the back of the worship folder and at the bottom, all those churches are just Claremont manuals that are extended to all of these tribal groups that our missionaries have gone to and planted churches. So we have over 20 extensions of us around the world <clears throat> that we can rejoice in. Um, well, the Apostle Paul is obviously an intellectual. I don't think anybody would, would fight that, that uh, distinction of the, of the Apostle Paul after reading the book of Romans. Uh, but he is also deeply concerned about people. He loves people. And relationships meant a lot to him. Paul loved the people that God sent him to. And and Paul's talked a lot about God's love throughout the book of Romans. In fact, at the top of your outline, you've got where he's mentioned love so far. God has poured out his love in our hearts and he's demonstrated his love for us by sending Jesus. Uh, Nothing can separate us from God's love. Love is to be sincere and we're to be devoted in our love for each other. We're to love those outside the church by blessing them when they treat us wrongly. We're to love other believers more than we love our own comfort. And Paul appealed to love for people to join him in praying for his ministry. Love will look like everyone in the church using their gifts to serve each other. Uh, We had a memorial service yesterday for Dan Dangel. um, And I know that a number of you were there. Uh, Dan, it was pointed out by a number of people that Dan was someone who was faithful, that he was a servant who used his passion for photography and for uh, baking bread. How many of you tasted Dan's bread? Yeah, maybe it would be easier to ask who didn't taste his bread or who hasn't. Uh, And then also for doing financial counseling. Uh, He was a CPA and he loved to help people figure out their finances. He was willing to serve the church in any way that he could some of the names that we're going to read about here in Romans chapter 16 are Latin, some are Greek, uh, some are Jewish but they are all people and this is on your outline all of these are people Paul loved I think Paul could have said a lot about each one of them um, more than he did but he wants us to look at this long list and he didn't want to miss anybody I'm sure so on your outline, it says although Paul had not met most of them, he loved them as his brothers and sisters in Christ. So the first thing we see—this is number one on the outline—is that Paul's heart overflowed with personal love. Um, and some statistics just from the from the chapter: the word "greet" is used nineteen times in this passage. There are thirty-three individual names; twenty-four of them are in Rome. And of the, those in Rome, he greets 17 men and seven women. He greets two households, uh, the mother of Rufus and the sister of Nereus. So let's read the passage, uh, Romans chapter 16, beginning at verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Cenchrea I ask you to receive her in the Lord In a way worthy of his people, and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend, Apenitus, Who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia? Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampelitus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Greet Apelles whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me also. Greet Asyncritus, Phlygon, Hermes, Petrobas, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philolog- Philologus, Julia, and Nereus, his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. We're going to stop right there for now. Um, You know, there's a a lot that could be said about all these names. Uh, We don't have time to look at all of them, but I I want to highlight a few. Uh, Before I do that, uh, one commentator, Dr. James Boyce, wrote this. He said, there is no better picture in all the Bible or possibly in all the world's literature of genuine Christian fellowship than this snapshot of the believers mentioned here by the Apostle Paul. Paul is getting ready to travel to, he's in Corinth. He's getting ready to travel to Italy, to Rome, and then on to Spain. Uh, He's probably around 60 years old. And he feels like he has one more church planting ministry trip in him. Uh, <clears throat> you know, when I, when I first was thinking about this, who came to my mind right away was one of our missionaries, Paul Gervasi, who uh, completed a church plant and a New Testament translation. And Paul and his wife, Bella, after having done that, said, man, can we do this again? We've got all the tools we need, all the training we, we need. We're just a little bit older, but they have done it a second time. They're almost at the end of planting a second church uh, in a second group of people and a second translation of the New Testament. Uh, pretty amazing. It's fun to be a part of something like that. Uh, he probably, Paul doesn't have much to pack. I, I can't imagine imagine that he traveled pretty lightly. Uh, and while he's packing, I could see him running across maybe some notes that he'd scribbled out of some of the names. And he thought, you know, I need to, I need to greet these people. And so that... It's what we end up with in Romans chapter 16. But in verses 1 and 2, you can look in your Bible, he mentions Phoebe. And um, Phoebe, the name Phoebe, means bright and radiant. And he describes her uh, with these three characteristics she's a sister, she's a deacon or a servant, and the benefactor of many people, including me. So, as a sister, she was a devoted member of God's family. As a servant, she cared for others, maybe discipling them, helping them grow to maturity in their Christian faith. And as a benefactor, she was probably in a position to support uh, others financially like she apparently was doing Mm -hmm. with the Apostle Paul. In verses three and four, uh, Paul mentions Priscilla and Aquila. If you've read the book of Acts, you know that uh, Priscilla and Aquila were around and they're mentioned by Paul in other places. And Paul met them when he came to Corinth Um, and they became close friends and ministered together. In verse seven, when it says, uh, he talks about Adronicus and Junia um, and it says that they were highly regarded by the apostles. That's what it means. And that they came to faith literally in a calendar before Paul did, so starting at verse eight, we have these names to describe the people that are listed: beloved, fellow worker, approved in Christ, kinsmen, workers in the Lord, a choice man, brethren, and saints. And again, the stories behind each of those that, that paul could could tell i 'm sure were uh, were wonderful stories, but all we know for certain is that each name brought to mind a relationship that Paul had that, uh, that he had in common with the church in Rome. These names are from Rome. Uh, they're, they're, he's going to mention some names from Corinth a little later on. But in verse 10, he greets Appellus, uh who is a tried and true veteran. That's really what it means. And what a great thing to be said of it, that we stick it out for the long haul. You know, when I first came to Claremont Emmanuel 30 years ago, uh, a man who was at the back of the church as a greeter who is still around. And I know many of you know him, some of you don't, but his name is Andy Anderson. Uh, Andy turned 99 this week. Uh, we don't make a big deal of mentioning birthdays, otherwise, we'd be up here all day every Sunday. But uh, I think if you turn 99, we'll mention you, I promise. Uh, but man, 99, Andy has really stuck it out. He still is faithful at the men's prayer breakfast, he's still around. Um, and he's a godly man, and he and his wife Ruth are two that we prayed for who are going through what everyone, I think, who turns 99, and, and Ruth isn't 99, but um, it, it's hard. It takes courage to grow old, doesn't it? And then he says, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa in verse 12. These women work hard in the Lord. What a great thing to be said of us, that you work hard in the Lord. Uh, this is most likely a play on words because tryphena and tryphosa, those two words mean dainty and delicate. Uh, it's thought by some commentators that they're twins. And I think what Paul is saying here is that they labor to the point of exhaustion and, and don't look down on them because of their names, because dynamite comes in small packages. Uh, that's what he's saying, I think. In Mark chapter 15, uh, Simon of Cyrene is, who, who carried Jesus' cross is described as the father of Alexander and Rufus. William Barclay, in his commentary, makes this comment about the passage in Mark chapter 15. Uh, William Barclay writes this. He says, if a man is identified by the names of his sons, it means that although he himself may not be personally known to the community to whom the story is being told or the letter is being written, the sons are. To what church did Mark write his gospel? And Barclay answers his own question. He says, almost certainly, he wrote it for the church of Rome. And he knew that the church would know who Alexander and Rufus were. He was the son of that Simon who carried the cross of Christ. So Paul expresses that same kind of love for those he mentions in other places. You see this almost in every letter that Paul writes. Somewhere he's describing his love for the people. Like he does in 1 Thessalonians 2. He says, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. So some people were known for, in the first century, for blowing into a town, preaching whatever message they had, and then leaving. But that was not the Apostle Paul. He stayed around. He cared for the people. He cared about the message, and he cared about the people to whom he gave that message. And then in verse 13 is when he greets Rufus. And he also greets Rufus' mother, uh, who has been a mother to him also, he said. So when was she a mother to Paul? You know, we don't really know. Maybe it was uh, in Antioch. Maybe it was in Corinth. Maybe it was at another time in his life when he'd been beaten. She nursed him back to health. But as a mother, she would be someone who could say, sit down and eat your breakfast, even though you're apostle, an apostle, you still need to eat. And so that's what a mother would do. And that's what, why Paul, I know, loved Rufus's mother like his own mother. Um, Paul is clear that our love should be expressed. And he says in verse 16, look at verse 16, to greet one another with a holy kiss. Um, What that's about is connection, connecting with other people. It's a cultural thing. Uh, J.B. Phillips translates that same verse, give each other a hearty handshake all around for my sake. And the contemporary English version keeps it general and translates it, be sure to give each other a warm greeting. The point is, is the relationship that we have with other people, that there there should be a connection there. Yes, we should be characterized by serving each other, but it's also appropriate to give each other a greeting, um, whatever is appropriate in the culture that we're in. Um, Dr. Paul Brand wrote a book with uh, an author, Phil Yancey, called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. Uh, it's a great book. I would recommend it to you uh, heartily. It's it's a beautiful book that's basically almost like a commentary on Psalm 139. But Dr. Paul Brand was the, a physician who came up with the modern treatment for leprosy. He was in India, and uh, once laid a hand on a leper's shoulder, and through a translator, Brand was explaining to this leper the treatment that they would be receiving. And to his surprise, the man began to shake and to sob. And Dr. Brand wondered if he had done something to offend this guy or said something wrong. And and he asked the translator to find out what was going on. And the translator asked the leper and the translator said to Dr. Brand, no, doctor, he says he's crying because no one touches a leper. But you put your hand around his shoulder. And until you came here, he said no one had touched him in years. Jesus said it like this to his disciples in John 13, "By this shall all people know that you're my disciples, if you keep on showing your love among yourselves." Genuine Christian affection can make a difference in a world that is so often indifferent. A smile and a warm handshake goes a long ways. You know, I can't tell you the number of people who have come up to me at different times and said, you know what, I've been to churches where I've been able to sneak in and sneak out and no one's greeted me, but not here. I've been at your church several times and I can't get away without a number of people coming up to me and greeting me. Man, what a great thing to be known as. And I want that to be an encouragement to you because it should be because we do that. I think that describes us. There's a, there was a mutual love that Paul had between the churches and a mutual love that I know we have for each other. You know, it's thought by most New Testament author, commentators that, that the Apostle Paul had some kind of an eye disease. Some think it was glaucoma. Maybe he just needed a strong pair of glasses. I don't know. But whatever it was, he the, his, the Galatians love for him, Paul describes it and he says in Galatians 4.15 that some of the people there, he said, I know you love me so much that you're willing to take out your eyes and give them to me if you could. That's the kind of love the people had for Paul. The, the point is that people crave meaningful connection as much today as they did 2,000 years ago. And what we find here in these first 16 verses is some truths about the body of Christ. And you've got these on your outline. The first truth in these verses is that the body of Christ has variety within its unity. It has variety within its unity. We're not sure about the background and the names of everyone, but we know that there were singles, there were married couples, there were widows. He greeted men. He greeted women, slaves, he greeted social elites, prisoners, new Christians, mature Christians, Greeks, Romans, and Jews. Uh, Some he'd met in prison, some he'd met in synagogues, some he'd met in the marketplace. Uh, Some of them he had met, obviously, in the church. But he met them all in the process of proclaiming Christ, And the one thing they shared in common was salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. That was what they shared in common. This is where we find the swing that the boys in the boat found. Uh, This is the way the church works together in unity. By focusing on our salvation, by focusing on Jesus and his grace, the faith that we have in common, a lot of differences that we have among us but those are the things that we have in common. That's where we find the swing. We have this great opportunity to show grace and patience with each other in the body of Christ, right here, because we don't ever know for sure where someone is in their Christian growth or what they're going through in their lives, and so we can extend grace to them and extend love to them and encouragement Another truth that we find here is that, the, and this is on your outline, the body of Christ is held together by those who serve in anonymity. The names that are here receive these acknowledgements from the Apostle Paul. And, and uh, we don't know a lot about them all, but we do know that they quietly and profoundly, every one of them, enriched the body of Christ. They were, m- m- that Paul was aware of what they had done and, and, and Paul was aware of the impact that they had made. And what a great prayer for us. Lord, will you use me to make that kind of an impact on your church, on the people right here at, at Claremont Emanuel. Um, they were unified in their devotion to Jesus. And I think that reflects Paul's vision for the church, that the people, uh, that the people of the church should reflect the community that it's in I think we do a pretty good job of that, but we can always work more on that. And it also should be centered around their unity in Jesus, and that's for sure who we are. A a local body should be filled with people that have a desire to serve by doing whatever needs to be done. And this, by the way, is an attitude that I see here all the time. I, I see people all the time saying, what needs to be done? What can I do to help? And that's awesome and I, again, I want this to be an encouragement to you because that's what I see here. Um, and I see everyone looking around for, for wondering what they can do to help. And so keep looking around. Keep your eyes open for what you might do um, to help. But of course we want everyone to serve where they're gifted. But, but true servants aren't picky. They don't have to serve even in an area where they're gifted. They'll just pitch in and do whatever they can whenever they can do it. The second thing we see in these verses is a warning. Uh, Paul knew that he needed, this is number two on your outline, to protect the church. Godly love, according to 1 Corinthians 13, does not rejoice in unrighteousness. So it's the nature of love to warn those that you love about real or potential harm that could come to them. And this is true of husbands for wives, it's true of parents for children, of pastors for their congregation, and of believers for one another. So the greatest harm against believers is those who undermine God's truth. Um, And that's why Paul felt it necessary to hear to have a word of caution. The greatest harm is, um, and, and again, Paul's demonstrating his love for the church here by not wanting them to be harmed. And so let's pick it up at verse 17. We'll see what that potential was for them. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone who has heard about your obedience, um, everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. We'll stop right there. So, what does Paul want them to do? Three things. First of all, verse 17, you can underline this in your Bible or whatever watch out for those who cause divisions. Love is, is ready to forgive all evil, but love never condones evil or ignores evil, especially in the church. So, this is not a warning against those who might be immature at all, uh, or those who have a difference of opinion over maybe a, a verse that's challenging to, to interpret. Uh, This is something about something way more serious. So what are we to do? That's on your outline. We're to observe. We're to watch. We're to be on the lookout. It's like the shepherd who's constantly looking over his flock to make sure that there's not a predator there, make sure that they're all okay. And we're not talking about being paranoid. That's not what we're talking about here either. It's being spiritually alert for teaching that is contrary to the scriptures. And so we should all be like the Bereans, right, in Acts 17:11, who said they were of more noble character than the Thessalonians because they searched the word every time Paul taught something to make sure what Paul was teaching was true. And so that, that should be what we should do, the same exact thing. Paul's talking about what he says here in verse 17, uh, those who put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you've learned. And then the second thing is he says keep away from them in the last part of verse 17. You underline that too. At the beginning of his letter to the churches of Galatia, Paul was dealing also with someone who was uh, going through some, they, were, they had had some, some false teachers come in their midst and teach them, and a lot of them were buying into it. And so Paul is, expresses a lot of emotion when in Galatians 1 he writes, I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. And then to emphasize the seriousness of that danger, the Apostle Paul goes on in Galatians and says, let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. So there are some questions that we should be prepared to ask as we're watching out for spiritually dangerous teaching. You've got them on your outline. Does what I'm hearing taught agree with Scripture? That's the first thing. Does it honor my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Does it help me to become more Christ-like? And does what I'm hearing taught cause me to think more highly of my brothers and sisters in Christ? Imagine how ineffective someone trying to bring division would be if we consistently ask those questions. We should be. I think most of us are. Most of us are attuned to teaching that would be contrary to scripture. And then the third thing Paul wants them to do in verse 19 is be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Similar to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 when he said be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You know, we live in a culture uh, where we see an active presence of spiritual forces of evil. And those are not lessening they are at war against the church and what that means is we need to live lives of uncompromising holiness and so if god convicts you of a sin by all means confess that sin praise god for his forgiveness for you and live in that forgiveness live in the grace of god but but know that we need to live lives of uncompromising holiness as believers god never intended his children to become that have to become intimate with evil in order to communicate the gospel to those who are involved in evil. No, we don't need to do that at all. We can convince them and talk to them without knowing that evil ourselves. So big number one on the outline, Paul's heart overflowed with love for the church. Secondly, he was protective of the church. And then number three on the outline, his care was contagious. When you care, others will also care. When you care, others will also care. I can just hear it as Paul is dictating this letter to Tertius. Uh, Tertius, who's writing it down, needs to chime in and greet his friends. That's not a, a normal thing that's done by a scribe, but it was done here in this context. And then Timothy is obviously there as well. And so maybe he came in at the end or something, but he wants to give his greetings to some folks. And so we'll pick it up in verse 21. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, and and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, Paul speaking again, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Cortus, send you their greetings. So we'll stop there again. So like I said in the first list, those are people in Rome. Now these are people that are with Paul in Corinth, uh, the city from which he wrote the letter to the Romans. So, you know, we play a vital and important role in the lives of our missionaries, like uh, we announced with Tiffany this morning and all of the missionaries, those we pray for every week. Uh, It's important. They're they're an extension of like we said earlier, like I said of of Claremont Emanuel, wherever they are, maybe you won't be sent out as a missionary. Uh, Maybe you will. But all of us can open our home to other people, uh, our home to a missionary. If you don't have a home, uh, you can open your heart. You can invite someone for a cup of coffee and and share your heart with them. And uh, We we live in this culture that's so closed-hearted. To find someone with an open heart who will, will be honest and, and encouraging to others can be a great ministry that you can have. Um, it's important for each of us to do our part in the body, and, and these are, all these folks are doing it unto the Lord. Um, verse 23 is an interesting one I just didn't want to let go by. It's a mention of Erastus, who is the city's director of public works. There's an interesting connection uh, with Erastus and modern-day archaeology. We've got a slide I want to show you because uh, there's a, an engraving in a sidewalk in Corinth that's been found that shows Erastus's name. And do we have that slide up? There it is. There's one before it as well where you can see some folks uh, looking at that. You'll notice some people in there that we're here in a part of our church as we were in Corinth, and uh, it was our guide, Eric Johnson, who was pointing out this this, uh, this engraving of Erastus. What that says basically is Erastus, in return for his directorship, laid this pavement at his own expense. But I think that that engraving thing from the first century points out a couple of really important things for us. Number one, it shows us that what we're reading, that the New Testament is rooted in history, real places and real people. Um, It also underlines that there were Christians in the first century who held public office, and they did so even under unbelieving and anti-Christian government. And so this is another thing. We can serve the Lord Jesus even in ungodly work situations. Some of you are in those. Some of you are in situations where maybe you're the only believer or one of the few believers at your workplace. But you can be a witness for the Lord there. God wants you to be there as his representative. Um, so we've got public officials that were also part of the early church, like Erastus was. You know, and I was thinking of people who, um, you know, made an impact on me, kind of like maybe the Apostle Paul did One of the first people that came to my mind was one of my seminary professors, a man named Dr. Christy Wilson. Uh, The first time I met him, the first time I came on campus at Gordon-Conwell, he came up to me and introduced himself and and he asked what your names are and I said my first name and, and he said, oh, you're Kenny Dodd and your fiance is Kathy. I had written Kathy down one time on one piece of paper about information at the seminary but he had caught that and he said, I've been praying for you guys. Wow, this blew my mind. But it was sure contagious. It made me want to do the same thing. And so that's what you've got here on your outline, that where we see a heart that's filled with love, uh, it's by nature contagious. You know, a survey was taken recently in suburban Houston about why people chose the different churches they had chosen to be a part of. And some of the answers were a little surprising. So 12% said they chose their church because of prior denominational affiliation. 8% on the basis of the architectural beauty of the building, 3% because of the person in the pulpit, 18% because of convenience of location, 21% because of people in the congregation whom they knew, but a whopping 37% were influenced by the fact that friends and neighbors had taken an interest in them and invited them personally. So, wow. <clears throat> so, think about that. Who is it that you need to take an interest in? Who is it that you need to invite personally? Maybe it's walking next door, taking an interest in your neighbor. Maybe it's walking across the street. Maybe it's someone that works with you at work, a coworker. Who is it in your life that you need to simply take an interest in and invite? And don't be discouraged when they say No. You know, advertisers say it takes seven people, seven times for people to be exposed to an advertisement before they even consider buying. So don't be discouraged when they say no six times. It may be the seventh time that brings them. You know, Paul has been described, and I've said this already about, as one of the greatest intellects. But I believe God used Paul because of his, also, also because of his love for people. Um... One of the most interesting things, I think, in, in this whole chapter is the way, again and again, Paul characterizes people with a single sentence. <clears throat> you know, I saw that yesterday in the funeral for Dan Dangel. Just trying, people trying to sum up his life with a few sentences or a couple sentences or one. If you're thinking of your life and someone was going to sum it up in one sentence what would you want said about you? The apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 1, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. You know, and it says on the bottom there, who are the people without whom you would have never made it? If you were to write one name, (coughs) excuse me, under that sentence right there, who would you write? Who would you write? If you're thinking of a name now, write it down. you think of a second name? You know, I think of names for me, there are a lot of names actually that come to mind, but At the top of the list are three friends in high school who shared the gospel with me and led me to faith in Christ. It's one of the reasons I'm really looking forward to in a few weeks going to my 50th high school reunion to see them because I know they'll all three be there. We're staying with one of them. I know some of you are shocked that I'm celebrating my 50th high school reunion but I graduated when I was 1 year old so <clears throat> You know Kathy and I were talking about this last night and <clears throat> man so many names come to mind So then take the next step Call them Thank them Write them a note send them a text Write them a handwritten note. They'll, they'll be shocked at that. <clears throat> but I think that we need to remember the people like Paul's remembering them here and, and let people know they've had an impact in our lives and we love them. We're grateful for them. Maybe they've gone to be with the Lord. Thank God for them. Maybe you could call their spouse or a, a, one of their children and thank them. They'd love to hear that from you. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for reminding us through these verses of the power of love, the unity within the body of Christ, and thank you for the reminder of the perfect harmony we can have as we work together to live out the great commandment and the great commission. We pray that you would give us discernment and wisdom to protect our spiritual unity against anything that might hinder our faith. May we all have the heart of a servant and and would you help us, Lord, to appreciate each other for the unique role that you have for each of us in your body here at Claremont Emanuel. We want to be like Paul. We want to have open hearts to the people you bring into our lives. In everything we do, Lord, we pray that our love would be sincere. We want to be like those boys in the boat and by your grace have a perfect unity. And we pray that as we do that that the people around us would know that we're your disciples. And on whatever level this morning, Lord, by your grace, if you're drawing someone to to yourself to take your word and apply it to their lives in a specific way, may they respond in faith and say yes to you. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. This, uh, our series in Romans from Romans 15, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. And you know what to do.